So welcome, uh, Church 21. Uh, thank you so much for being here this morning. Uh, it's my pleasure to uh, be here with you. And uh, I just want to, I know we've been seated for a while. I know it's been a while since the blood has been moving. So I have a question. Who has been living in Quebec for more than one year? Raise your hand. Okay, now raise the other hand if it's still the same group. If you've been here for more than one year, raise your other hand. <laughs> okay, one of us got it. Okay, here we go. Now, if you've been living here for less than one year, raise your hand. Okay. It's really interesting. It's so cool to have uh, so many uh, people arriving in Montreal for school, different reasons, work. Um, and as you arrive in Montreal, and as you arrive in Quebec, you start to realize there's some cultural differences, perhaps, to where you have come from previously. And uh, one of those cultural differences are the, the cultural proverbs that we hear. Uh, and so I was just wondering if anyone has heard some different uh, Quebecois proverbs since you arrived in, in Quebec. Uh, perhaps, maybe you, you don't speak French yet, so you don't even know, but you're hearing them as you're walking through life. So I, I have a couple here uh, to start off our, our time together, some Quebecois proverbs, okay? And so I'll, I've translated them to English, uh, and I'll just read it to you, and you can kind of guess at what it means, okay? And so if you want to yell out, even from where you're seated, uh, your guess at what it means, that, that's welcome. So here's the first one. Beautiful words do not scratch the tongue. What do you think that means? It's a Quebecois proverb. Uh, I'm not going like, to try to I'll say it. Les belles paroles ne cochent pas la langue. So this Quebecois proverb is saying it's just as easy to speak politely as it is to speak arrogantly. Okay, so there we go. There's a, you've learned your first Quebecois proverb for all of those who didn't raise the hand about having heard one yet. Um, here's another one. Not having a head on your shoulders is hard on your legs. Okay, what do you think that means? If you are very forgetful, then it's going to force you to retrace your steps, which is going to make you do more work in the end of the day. And uh, the, I have one last one here. He who steals an egg steals an ox. And in, in French, it actually kind of rhymes. Uh, qui vole un oeuf, vole un boeuf. So he who steals an egg steals an ox. What do you think that means? I know you're probably thinking in your head and you just don't feel like speaking out loud. That's fine. I'll, I'll say the, <laughs> what, it, what it means here. Um, the idea is that someone who steals a small thing is very likely to continue stealing until they're stealing much larger things in life. And so these are a couple examples of Quebecois proverbs. All, we just finished April. Uh, and all April long, the one that I know the most is the one that I say to my kids, which is, in April, you can't take off a thread but it rhymes in French. It's en avril, il ne faut pas se découvrir d'un fil. So in April, you can't take off a thread. And what that means is it starts getting warm. We start having sunny days, but it's only like 10 degrees. So you still got to wear like your coat and your scarf and everything like that. Uh, but then that, that, that proverb continues, but in May, do whatever you please. Uh, and so now we're in May. So you can go outside in a t-shirt if you want, according to this Quebecois proverb. Um, so this is, these are some examples. And when we come to cultural proverbs like the, this, this, these Quebecois proverbs, uh, I think it's appropriate to have an approach of, you can take it or leave it, okay? Uh, some of them have some sense of wisdom. Some of them are just really not true. Uh, like, it doesn't really mean that if you've stolen one small thing, you're going to end up stealing like a Lamborghini later on in your life. Uh, but it could happen. And the question is, can we have a take-it-or-leave-it approach with the book of Proverbs in the Bible? 
Can we look at them and say, oh, this one seems appropriate to my life, to my context. This one, not so much. Uh, here's a couple examples of Proverbs that we have in the book of Proverbs. Uh, and it, and they, they're just practical wisdom and application to day-to-day -day life. And so here's a couple. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. That's Proverbs 11:12. And so we hear something like that. But I, let's be honest, does it ever go through our minds, okay, yes, that, that might be in the Bible. There's a proverb that says, don't belittle our neighbor. Belittle our neighbor. Um, we'll remain silent about the things our neighbors do. But you didn't see what my neighbor did. Like, you have to know. Like, what, he's been, like, pushing his leaves on my lawn, and I just, I'm done with it. And, or uh, here's another one, Proverbs 15, 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And... How often is, does this thought run through our minds? But you know what? This, this person just needs to hear it how it is, even if they have to hear it loudly. You know? Uh, you, you can't, I can't baby uh, people my whole life. Or another one, this one you must all know. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit goes before the fall. That's Proverbs 16, 18. And, uh, and then we start justifying ourselves. We say, well, you know what? I, I'm not prideful. I'm just really good at what I do. And so I'm, I'm not talking about how good I am. I'm more promoting my, uh, my abilities. I'm promoting my talent. I'm not being prideful in this. And so in, in a very quick uh, span of time, we start approaching the Proverbs in the same way that we would approach cultural Proverbs. We kind of take it or leave it. We justify why it could apply to us, why it shouldn't apply to us. Uh, and the question is, is that appropriate? Can you say that, oh, the Proverbs that we find in the Bible, they can be helpful uh, and they can be just ignored sometimes. And that, that's what Proverbs 1 through 3 is all about. Okay, we come into Proverbs 1 through 3 and it's an introductory statement on wisdom. And then it gives very clear details and direction for interacting with the, the rest of the book, okay? So today is going to give us the context for how we're going to interact with Proverbs as we go into this new uh, sermon series on the book of Proverbs. So just as we get into some of these verses for today, let's pray again together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much um, for, for your love uh, for mankind and that you you give your wisdom in books like the, uh, the book of Proverbs. Uh, and God, I pray that our approach to this would be uh, um, teachable, that we'd be willing uh, to learn. Uh, even if we, we've read it before, even if we know uh, what this says, or if we've never encountered it before, I pray that our posture would be one of being willing to be taught uh, and willing to learn. And uh, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of Proverbs, like I said, uh, chapter 1 through 3 is what we'll be looking at today. And we won't be going into like very fine uh, details verse by verse. It's a, it's a lot of content. It's, it actually was overwhelming this week to be like, how do I boil this down to 30 minutes? <laughs> and uh, don't worry, uh, it'll be more like an hour. So you might have to cancel some lunch plans. Um, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, so we start the book with a, a statement on what is wisdom, and, and we have direction for interaction, interacting with the rest of the book. And the, the reader comes to Proverbs, and they're told something really interesting. They're told that this book is, the purpose of this book is for you to have, uh, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, 
Uh, oh, this is getting interesting. To, to, re to receive instruction in wise dealing uh, and in righteousness and in justice and in quality and more. And you get to this and you're like, is this Old Testament clickbait? Like, what is going on here? This is, this is really like a lot of promising. Like, you won't believe what you'll read next if you keep reading. Um, and then there, it seems like that, but the difference here is that it is actually delivering on the promise. That this is where you find instruction for wise dealing, righteousness, justice, uh, dealing uh, with equality, and more. And so the, here's where we should be right now, I think, is that you'd be like, this sounds great. This is very helpful to have a book that offers all of this and delivers on that. Uh, because how often have we come to a moment in time and we just, we thought to ourselves, if only I had the experience, the knowledge, the know-how, the wisdom that I required for making the right choice right now. If only. Have you ever heard of analysis paralysis? Some, I was like, me, I heard of it. <laughs> uh, if you don't know, Evan's my brother. And so uh, for a while, I've, since he's been in Quebec, I've been told, you sound like your brother. And that's so, that's so funny because it's like, you know my brother first, and I'm so happy for what he's doing here. Uh, I'm happy to sound like Evan. Um, and so analysis paralysis. So you heard of it. Have you experienced it? Basically, it's getting to a point, uh, a place where you have a project or a de decision to make, and you're frozen. You're, you just don't know what to do. You're desperate uh, for a direction uh, or a decision. You're desperate to take action, but you just can't. And in this moment, you're, you're desperate for wisdom, but it feels evasive. And so as we get into the text, that's exactly the place I'm asking you to consider uh, being in, is just being desperate for wisdom, wanting to know what the right thing to do is, uh, and just not being sure. And so as we start to engage with Proverbs, uh, the first question that we must answer is, what is wisdom? What are we talking about when we say wisdom? And what is Proverbs talking about when it talks about wisdom? And so we know it's a key term. If anyone's ever read Proverbs, you know it talks a lot about wisdom. Uh, and this word has a nuance of skill. Okay, that's interesting. Wisdom has a nuance of skill. So what does that mean? It's, it's the skill. Wisdom is the skill of choosing the right course of action for the desired result. Wow, I'd love to have wisdom. I'd love to have that skill in, in all aspects of life. And in, in the framework of Proverbs, this skill of wisdom is the, is the art of godly living. Okay? So it's interesting to just keep that in mind as we engage with the book. And we're going to read Proverbs 1 through 7 again together. So you can turn there with me. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and um, equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, uh, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, I don't know if any of those verses are ringing in your ears, but I just want to tell you that in our culture today, that verse 7 should be ringing in our ears. We don't like to be told that there is a, a requirement 
for engaging with the world, that there's a requirement for having wisdom and knowledge. And verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So as I've said already, wisdom's a skill. It's, it's wisdom is having knowledge and applying knowledge rightly. And so right here we have a very bold statement. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of both knowledge and wisdom. And so that fear, that fear, it, it represents a reverence and a humility before the maker of everything you see in the world and the redeemer, the one who is restoring relationships uh, to himself. Now, uh, just as we, we just use a word called reverence, which is to describe the fear of the Lord. Uh, could someone just shout out from where you're seated, uh, what does reverence mean in just simple, in simple words? Respect. Respect, man. High level of respect. Uh, that is a good description of reverence. Anything else? Ah, exactly. That was the, the, the second most helpful thing, I think, is this, it's, you come to a place of worship when you see this, the Lord, God, presented in the Bible, is the maker of everything, so far beyond everything I can understand, my experience in the world. So the fear of the Lord is awe, worship, and a high level of respect. And the word we use in, in the church is reverence. And so these verses are saying that any real understanding in the world is rooted in submission to the Lord. It's rooted in that spirit of fear, having awe, high level of respect, and worship of the creator of the universe. And so in the time that this was written, uh, it was written to the Israelites, <clears throat> excuse me, who were under <clears throat> the law of Moses. Now, the law of Moses served to set apart the Israelites from the rest of the world. It served to show them that they were really in need of restoration, of redemption, because they couldn't fully follow the law. They, they fell so short. And so it wasn't to be fulfilled by the Israelites. It was to show them that they needed restoration. Uh, but the interesting thing about the, the wisdom provided in Proverbs and in the, the wisdom books of the Bible um, is that it comes beside the law, okay? And it, and it shows us what just a day in the life would look like for humanity if we were fully submitted to the Lord and if we were in proper alignment with him. This is what it would look like for us to interact with his world. And so that's what we're seeing as we get into Proverbs. And so we're not very far into the book and we're acknowledging something that's being stated, that the knowledge and the wisdom that that's, it's talking about, it comes from submission to God and that submissive spirit does not come naturally. If it did, why would, why would you write a book on it? You would just already know. If it came naturally as, as breathing, we wouldn't need to go and read the wisdom in Proverbs. We'd already know how to interact with the world in the way that God is calling us to. But we don't, that does not come naturally, so we do need the Proverbs. And you might be coming to a, a point here as you, you're engaging with this with me this morning, uh, or maybe you've engaged with the book of Proverbs in the past, and you might have a question. What's the difference between the wisdom in, uh, in the Bible, biblical wisdom, and, and all other wisdom? And I, honestly, I have to say that it, it might not always be clear. The difference between Proverbs and other wisdom uh, and the and the other wisdom books of the Bible 
and, and the wisdom we encounter in, in the world, uh, cultural proverbs, like those Quebecois proverbs. It's that all of these uh, proverbs, this wisdom, is perfectly aligned with the truth of the universe. It's aligned with who God is and then how to interact with the world based on that knowledge. And, and biblical wisdom always assumes some aspect of who God is, how he interacts with the world, or his character. So let's just pause for a moment, and we'll look back at one of those Quebecois proverbs that I, I quoted earlier. Beautiful words do not scratch the tongue. It's just as easy to speak politely as it is to speak uh, arrogantly. Now, that sounds a lot like a Proverbs we'll see much later in this series, Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I would say they're almost, they can be uh, exchanged with each other. They're so similar in the, the essence of what they're saying. And so what I would say about this particular Quebecois proverb is that it's an accurate observation of experience in God's world. There are some cultural proverbs, some cultural words of wisdom that are an accurate observation of an experience in God's world. And these first verses that we've just looked through, the first seven verses in Proverbs, they're making a, a statement and a defense that all of Proverbs can be trusted because all of Proverbs meets this requirement. It's an accurate statement, an accurate word on how humans should interact in God's world. And then we come to, we come to Proverbs uh, 1 verse 6, and it says, the wise will come and they'll increase their wisdom by reading the writing that follows. And so this is just a reminder that there's a required posture to in interact with Proverbs. And that posture is to be teachable. So the question is, have you come this morning willing to be taught? Have you come this morning willing to be uh, in a position of being teachable. And then the, the passage continues, and I'll read verses 8 and 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Hear, my son, your father's teaching. The 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 Proverbs in the beginning, specifically these first couple chapters, it's like a, it, it represents a father sitting down with his son and, and showing him uh, that there's only two paths in life. There's, there's God's path, the path, the path of wisdom, and the path that leads to destruction. And, and as we go on, we'll see that unfold. But the, the essence here is, son, there's only two paths to choose from in life. There's no workarounds. There's no option C. There's no loopholes. One path includes God and his wisdom, and the other path, it's leading to destruction. And now I know a, a friend that if you give him two options, he will always find option C. Always. And I, I, I appreciate that because I think it's a good representation of our human nature. We don't like to be told that we only have two options and that one is good and one is bad. We want to find, is there an option C? And so, what's the clear calling as we come into uh, Proverbs? Well, it's in order to enjoy life and in order to enjoy life and wisdom, you must submit to God. 
And this submission is also active. Your listening flows out into actually doing and obeying. And so you, in obeying, you are actually interacting with the world with the same wisdom that God created the world with. And, and here's the thing. For those option C people, which is all of us really, uh, most time, maybe not all the time, but sometimes, this word submit, it's not easy to accept. It actually might be very hard to process. Submit. Submit to who? I've never been asked to do that before. Or if I have, it was, it was, I found it was very inappropriate. And so if you're wrestling with that word, if you're wrestling with the, the, this, this beginning of Proverbs, this statement that it's making, I just want to thank you. Thank you for wrestling with that. And thank you for engaging with this at this level. And so a result of wrestling with this statement of, of submitting could lead to um, applying wisdom that you find in Proverbs, but with, without the knowledge. And remember, the knowledge is, uh, represents um, knowing God and his involvement in the world. The, the knowledge that the Proverbs is talking about is the fear of the Lord. So what, what would happen if you came to Proverbs and you said, you know what? It does have some really good information in it. So I'm going to take what I can take for myself. But I'm, I, don't, I don't like that submitting part. I don't like that part about, like, this is how to interact with God's world. But it actually just has a lot of good proverbs. They're a lot like the cultural proverbs I know. So the question is, can you interact with it that way? And I think the answer is yes. The answer is you can come to the proverbs. You can pick and choose. And I can almost imagine a telemarketing company okay, having this banner up that says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Can you see that? You you got all these uh, these desks with telephones, and they've got that banner. Maybe in more modern words, but you can see that happening. You can see our culture accepting some of the truths that are are here in Proverbs. So it's it is possible to interact with this to be perceived from the outside as someone who is wise, someone who is good, but without fulfilling the requirements of Proverbs seven, which is having knowledge, which is the fear of the Lord and submitting to him. And so I believe that if you are in that position of accepting the Proverbs, but ignoring the requirement, you might fall into one of two groups. There, there could be a first group of pursuing wisdom for, for religious reasons. And it's, and it's kind of an understanding or a motivation and a belief that if you properly apply everything in life, you don't actually have to submit to God, you'll just earn your place with God. Uh, and the ultimate root of that motivation and belief is that uh, you are wanting to serve yourself, actually. And so that, that's a workaround for submitting to God. I'll serve myself by fulfilling all these things. And another uh, case that we could see uh, in pursuing wisdom, having a desire to be perceived as a wise person, a good person, uh, could be as an atheist or an agnostic. And the motivation is, I want to be fulfilled in myself. I want to uh, be perceived as a wise and a good person. I want to better the world for myself, for my family, for my children, their children. And the root, again, is, is serving yourself. And so it's clear that it's possible to do some of the, what Proverbs outlines uh, for, for the wrong reasons without actually meeting the requirement. 
And Proverbs 10 through 14 actually says, as this father is talking to his son in this image here, stay away from people that convince themselves that what they're doing is just and right and good because when the motivation is to serve yourself, when the, uh, the, and what happens is you're actually harming the innocent. You're actually gaining at the expense of others and you're gaining even at the expense of your own life because any path that rejects submitting to God will lead to destruction. And we'll continue to engage with that as we go on. But the, is it possible to apply wisdom without the biblical definition of the knowledge of God? The answer, I think, is yes. But the wise and good things that you will do are ultimately corruptible. They're ultimately going to fall short because they're serving you. Uh, and they're serving oneself. And so what does it look like, then, to have wisdom and, and knowledge? To have those two things together. Uh, and that's what we see in uh, verse 20 when the, the Proverbs presents uh, a woman crying out in the street. And so this woman is uh, often referred to as Lady Wisdom. We're going to hear more about her in chapter 9. But she is a picture of God's wisdom. Uh, and so in a sense, Lady Wisdom in Proverbs, she stands in place of God himself. And as you're reading, you'll see that she's shouting out her message, but few people are listening. People are choosing to ignore her, rather, and, and they're choosing to stay in their ignorance. And then she describes a punishment for those who reject, uh, and also a reward for those who listen. And then we get into Proverbs 2, and I'll read verses 1 through 5. This continued conversation with a father and son. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, uh, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it, uh, uh, search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. So this conversation continues. It's an it's an urge to listen to this instruction and to pursue lady wisdom. And in doing that, you will discover the fear of God. You'll gain wisdom. And, this, and as uh, chapter 2 continues, uh, it says that wisdom will protect those who have it. Wisdom breeds ethical sensitivity. It breeds conscious, uh, conscience. And it will keep you away from evil people. And then, as we keep going in chapter 2, we start to see another character who's going to come again in chapter 9, uh, and it's the temptress. It's uh, later described as Lady Folly. And so, Lady Wisdom will keep you from Lady Folly. And the reminder here, when you see these two characters, is that there's only two paths. And now these two paths have kind of guardians of the paths. You have these characters to see, okay, on this path, there's this, this lady wisdom welcome you, welcoming you into God's wisdom. And then there's lady folly welcoming you into the wisdom of the world. And so this father and son conversation, it's the father saying, stay away from lady folly. This is not what you want. She might look beautiful. She might look enticing, please just stay away because what you do want, everything you desire in your life is found in lady wisdom. Now, let me ask a question. Do you feel like we're hardwired to do the opposite of what our parents tell us? How hard is it 
to be told something that is, you know is right, and you know it's wise, and it's coming from your parents, and you're like, but I don't want to do it because you're the one that told me to do it. <laughs> I think that's true. I see some people relating. It helps me know that I'm not a unique case in the universe, um, but that there are times when your parents told you to do something that's very good, very true, very wise, and even if you knew it was right, you chose to do the opposite. Now, here's the question. When we, when we come to these two paths that Proverbs is outlining, the path with Lady Wisdom welcoming you, the path with Lady Folly welcoming you, and you're being told, go down the path uh, of, the, of Lady Wisdom, the path of wisdom, which path do we choose? Now, be honest. What path do we choose? Do, what is our tendency? It's, I, I have to be honest with myself. It's not to say that I don't know how the world works. I need wisdom. My tendency in my flesh is to say, I know how it works. I'm going to do it according to my own wisdom. And that is the deceit of Lady Folly. It's, it's not that you're going down a path that is, like, it looks evil. It's scummy. It, it, you're like, you know, oh, man, I'm going to, like, die if I go down this path. The best lie of Lady Folly is accepting good morals, uh, wanting to be perceived as a wise person, but rejecting the knowledge of God. And so it can look like you're going, you have two options of two beautiful paths, but in the path of rejecting the knowledge of God, that path ultimately leads to destruction. And so I think that we see that we consistently follow our own ways, our own wisdom, our own understanding, and the definition of this is foolishness. That applying wisdom without proper knowledge of God, which is the fear of the Lord, is ultimately being pursuing foolishness and it's folly. And so here's the good news. You're not left. Even if every time uh, we always choose the path of lady folly, the path that leads to destruction, we are not left to be destroyed. Even though you might not be in a place uh, today, you might have come in just visiting the church, uh, kind of exploring who Jesus is. You might not be coming in today saying, yeah, I, I wanted to come to church today because I really felt like I was going down this path. Uh, Lady Folly really describes this path that I'm on, and I need to be saved. It's usually not, you're not usually in that position. You don't know that you're, you need to be saved. The Bible says that mankind will do what's right in their own eyes. So if you're doing what's right in your own eyes, you don't know you're doing what's wrong. That just makes sense. So how can you know that you are not right? And this is where in Proverbs, we have the gospel. We have the good news. We meet Jesus. Because if lady wisdom is the image of God's wisdom, while well, Jesus, when he came to earth, he was wisdom incarnate. Now, I'll ask you again, this is another word we use, but what does incarnate mean? You can shout it out from where you're seated. Incarnate. In the flesh. That's a the very clear uh, description. Um, in bodily form. So Jesus is the human bodily form of God's wisdom on earth. And so, as we've been talking about, Proverbs starts with this father instructing his son on how to live, and Jesus comes to earth, and he is the son of God who listened and obeyed his father's instructions. Jesus is the only one that met 
not only the requirements of the law, but this outline of, of following the path of wisdom. Listening, but that listening flowing into also obedience. Uh, Jesus has displayed reverence to God. Jesus speaks wisdom. He has the knowledge that the, this proverb, uh, the Proverbs is requiring. Um, and he's properly applying that knowledge because Jesus is the Son of God. And so when you see an example of what is truly right, that is when you know that there must be a wrong. <laughs> when, and the Bible says Jesus is the one that's truly right. And so that's what you need to wrestle with today, that if, even if you're doing what's right in your own eyes, the Bible says Jesus is the one that's truly right. And then it comes to a place where I don't like being told that I'm wrong. So I want to justify myself. I want to deflect this feeling. And often that deflection, that justification of yourself will just be sent right back onto Jesus. Oh, if Jesus is supposed to be this perfect person and he's the image of right, well, like I don't want to hear about him. I don't like that. I don't want to, if I ignore that, then Nothing will show me that I'm in the wrong. And that is exactly what Lady Folly is inviting you into. Ignoring that picture of wisdom, the image of Jesus, and going into what you see as your own way and your own right. But Jesus is the one who did what his father instructed and did not do the opposite. Jesus followed the path of wisdom, and there's something important to reflect on here. As we go into this sermon series, as we look in the Proverbs, and if you've read them before, a lot of the Proverbs sound like amazing promises. Do this, and this won't happen. Do this, and you will have this reward in return. Now, I've just told you that Jesus, he perfectly followed the path of wisdom because he was wisdom incarnate, wisdom in the flesh. Where did that path lead to? That path of wisdom led to the cross, and doesn't this seem like destruction? Doesn't the cross seem like death and destruction? It, it makes it feel like, okay, we've been told there's two paths, the path, is, uh, the path of wisdom, the path of, of folly, but they both lead to the same place, destruction. But I would say to you that that is a wrong view of the cross. You need to hear this this morning, that the cross is not the end of the path. In April, we celebrate the work of Jesus. And we know that the cross was not the end. It was actually path, part of the pathway leading to ultimate resurrection and restoration to God. And so hear this. The ultimate resurrection and restoration that Jesus purchased for you on the cross, on that path of wisdom, it's for you. It's a gift to you. Jesus did what was truly right for you. His love for you is intended to remove that de defense mechanism of saying, I don't want to hear about Jesus because I want to live in my own ways. When you really come face to face with what Jesus did for you and the love he has for you, it's supposed to render you defenseless and that you don't have any excuses anymore. And you come to a place where God and his Holy Spirit will allow you to respond in faith in receiving what Jesus has done for you, in receiving his goodness, his righteousness, that he purchased for you on the cross, that he earned through following the, the perfectly following uh, and obeying God's law 
and, and walking in wisdom. And so as we look at the beginning of Proverbs, we, we've seen there's two paths, Lady Wisdom, Lady Folly. We've discussed how we're prone to follow our own ways. We're prone to go down the path of uh, Lady Folly. Uh, and, and this is what I'd like to imagine. I'd like, I'll, I imagine the path of Lady Folly as a well-cleared path. Um, I, I've often gone to Mont Saint-Hilaire. If you're at McGill, it's connected to McGill, and you've probably already been there. Uh, and you get there, and you're like, oh, man, I'm in the country. I'm in, like, this, I'm going to go trailblazing. And you get there, and it's like there's gravel on the path. And there's, like, there's not one spot you can see that people haven't already stepped before you. And that's how I imagine the path of Lady Folly. But when we talk, when the Bible presents us this path of wisdom, it's, it, it makes me think of this overgrown path, and Jesus is the one who's cleared it. And now he's standing in the path, and he's saying, come and follow me into this path. Don't go in that well-cleared path, the one that seems easy. It's going to lead to destruction. I have cleared this path for you to now walk with me in it. And so we return to what we talked about in the beginning. Can you have a take it or leave it approach with the Proverbs? And ultimately, the answer is no. Not in the sense of the requirements that have been stated. The requirements, which is that you need to engage with the book as the whole. And as a whole, the book is saying that you don't know how the world works, but the maker and the redeemer, the creator of the, the universe, does know how the world works. In creating the world, he wove in this moral fabric, and he's telling you this is how it works, and now I'm giving you the inner information to interact with the world based on how I created it. And so when you come to this point, and you see that Jesus has cleared the path of wisdom, and he's inviting all to receive salvation in his name and follow this path um, in wisdom, you, you come to the point of, do you accept or do you reject? That's the only option right now. And so you, you might be in a place where you're saying, I'm still engaging with this. I'm not sure about Jesus. I'm not sure about this moral fabric <laughs> and God saying that this is right and what I do is wrong. I invite you to continue to engage with it. Continue to visit with us. But if you're here today and you know, I, I am in Christ. I have submitted to the Lord and to King Jesus. Uh, uh, you know that you have been made wise in Christ. You know that you are aligned with Jesus, who is wisdom incarnate. You might be here today thinking, why do I still make foolish decisions? Okay, Trenton, you've been talking to me about how God's given us this wisdom, the same wisdom that he created the universe with. I, I, I believe that I submit, I meet the requirements of knowledge, which is fearing the Lord, worshiping him, uh, having reverence for him. And I make s foolish decisions all the time. Tell me, Trenton, why does that happen? And this, that's a good question to ask. And here's uh, a response. That this righteousness we're given from Jesus and the wisdom we're given from God's word, they are very connected. And that moral righteousness, goodness, uh, and wisdom, they flow out of the character of God. And so Jesus, in the work on the cross, has given us a right standing before God. And he's rightly ordered us with the God of the universe. And now we can walk on that path of wisdom. Um, and that, that here's the thing, the righteousness of Jesus, it will work its way into every area of your life. And so this is just a statement to say that spirituality, faith, it is an all-life thing. 
Okay, did you hear that? If you call Jesus your king, it's an all-life thing. So if you're asking the question, why do I make foolish decisions? Well, I'm going to ask you a question. Is there an area of your life that you have not allowed Jesus to touch? You're saying, I follow you, I kneel to you, King Jesus, but just not in this area of my life. And then maybe those dots will connect. Maybe those foolish decisions are happening in areas of your life where you're not submitting to Jesus. And so today, this is a call for you to submit again to Jesus and to receive his righteousness, receive his wisdom that he has purchased for you and he invites you to now walk in in his wisdom, in this path. And so because of Jesus, Proverbs is an invitation. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for the length of days and years of life and peace. They will be added to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths right. Are you trusting in Jesus? This starts with receiving his forgiveness that he's purchased for you on the cross, salvation in his name, and it continues in letting that touch every area of your life. And so this week, Jesus is inviting you into wisdom, into his wisdom. And because Jesus is redeeming and leading those who follow him in grace, wisdom is actually and truly within your reach. That there are promises in the Bible that you can take and say that I, I can have wisdom. This is a promise for me. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. So in response today to this, if you call Jesus your King and your Lord, I invite you to pray for wisdom. And as we work through the Proverbs, I invite you to read and, and actually engage with what it's saying and prayerfully consider how it's applying to your life and how there might be areas of your life that you haven't submitted to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your wisdom and that in your wisdom, in creating the world, in creating us, you have given us your words as a guide for how to interact with the world aligned with you. And so, God, I pray that you would do that today. I pray that if there's any area of our lives that are not aligned with you, if there's any area of life that we, we feel crippled and we feel stuck in making foolish decisions, that you would redeem that area of our life, that you would continue the work that you have started with Jesus and in salvation, and you would, in, as you're inviting us in the path of wisdom, um, that we would fully walk in it uh, with you in that. And I thank you for Jesus. And because of Jesus, we can talk to you. We can receive your wisdom and we can walk with you in this way. And so I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are going to go into a time of response now. As we've heard the word and we, we start to engage with it. Uh, and that, that time of response, uh, it can 
look uh, different ways. It can look like you just stay seated and you reflect on what something that might have stood out to you from the passage. Uh, the response will be uh, also singing and worshiping God, which is like we described one of the ways of defining the fear of the Lord is, is worshiping him, adoring him. And uh, a way that we can respond today is, is sharing how the spirit is speaking. The spirit is here. The spirit is working in this space. If you have received some sort of word on your heart that you feel could be a word from the spirit for the church, uh, we invite you to come speak with myself, Evan or Stephen. Uh, and if it's appropriate, you might share that word with the church today. Uh, and we'll just make time for it between the, the songs uh, because we know the Spirit is active and working. And uh, we also respond for those who do submit to King Jesus in giving back what, we, what he has given us. And Evan already talked in, at length in, in what it means to be part of the family and be involved in that. And so you have an opportunity to worship God by giving back what he has given you and trusting him with your resources. Uh, and it's that, that's an act of worship to give because it's an act of saying, I'm not going to trust myself with this and what I'm going to do with it. I'm going to give it back to God because he's calling me to do that. So I'm going to obey and I'm going to uh, glorify him by saying, you've given me so much that I don't even need to worry about what's going to happen if I give you this back. Uh, we also respond through taking communion. So uh, if you're here today and you, you can say, Jesus is my Savior and Lord, then you're invited to take this communion, which is a, a reminder, and we can do it as often as we, as we like it. It's a reminder of the work of Jesus on your behalf. If you're here today and you're exploring Jesus, you're exploring what the church teaches, this isn't something for you right now. And if you're here today and, and there's, you know in your heart that there's an area that you are not giving to Jesus, you're unrepentant in it, you do not want him to take that, I would ask you to prayerfully engage with that uh, and to give that to Jesus and then joyously come and partake of this, uh, remembering what he's done for you on the cross. And so we open the, this, these little um, containers and we take out this wafer. Uh, this wafer is designed to remind us that when Jesus walked perfectly in obedience to God, when he walked in the path of wisdom, it led him to the cross. And on the cross, his body was broken for us. His body was broken for us so that we do not have to go to the end of the path of folly, which is destruction, brokenness, and separation from God. Jesus was broken so that we could be restored to God. We take this in remembrance of what he did on the cross. Then we, we take the juice. The juice reminds us of the blood that Jesus gave. I said that Jesus is wisdom incarnate. Jesus was a real human person, but he's also God. He lived a perfect life and he truly did die on the cross and he gave his blood so that you could be forgiven. This is something that does not make sense in our world, but this is something that God says, I created the world. I say that this is the requirement for salvation. And then we accept that. And we say that often we even take this cup and it's, it's not inappropriate to raise it as a toast. To say, we celebrate what Jesus did for us. We celebrate that through his blood, we are forgiven. And we are brought into 
this relationship with God and rest, restored relationship with God. So we take the cup and we celebrate the work of Jesus. Heavenly Father, I just thank you again for Jesus. I thank you that through his life of obedience and submission to you, we can be restored to you. And I pray that you would lead us into properly responding to how you're speaking to the church today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.